Our scripture readings from the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find it on your bulletin insert. <clears throat> the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after the wind." I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, It is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves, and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold, and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold... All was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Our Heavenly Father, we sing your praises because you have sent to us Emmanuel, God with us. This is the good news we long to be proclaimed to all the world. And so, Father, we pray that you would use now these tithes and these gifts and these offerings for that very purpose. That this good news that Jesus himself came down and entered into 
our estate of sin and misery in order to deliver us out of that estate would be proclaimed to all the nations and that your kingdom would be advanced upon this earth. And Father, as we prepare now to come before your word, we we do long for this same good news to be proclaimed to us and that it would find its way deep into our hearts and that it would change us forever. Father, we admit that we all come together uh, this morning to worship you, but we all come from a number of different places. Some of us hurting immensely, others of us feeling the hypocrisy of our lives, others with great questions and doubts, and still others to whom you have chosen to draw especially close to at this time. But Father, however we come this morning, we pray that you would help us to understand that we really are all the same, because we are all far more broken than we could ever imagine about ourselves. And so we need to hear the good news. We need to be reminded that though we are far more broken than we could imagine, because of Jesus and his person and work, we are also far more loved and accepted, and secure than we could have ever dreamed possible. And so we pray that this good news this morning would fall upon our hearts, and that you would change us for your glory and for our good. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And at this time, I'd like to invite the children ages 3 to 6 to be dismissed for Children's Church. Make your way to the back of the sanctuary. Um, in the church calendar, Advent um, refers to those weeks leading up until the celebration of Christmas. And in particular, it refers to the coming of Jesus. And, uh, and we're celebrating that as a church. And, uh, and, and we're really going through a short series here during the, these Advent weeks to, to consider together what does that practically mean for us that Jesus came into this world. And, and this morning, we're, uh, we're considering this passage out of the book of Ecclesiastes. I, I wish I could have printed more verses for you, um, but that, that insert's only so big. Uh, but I, I gave you enough verses there to, I think, let you know what the theme of Ecclesiastes it, it really is. And what I want us to consider from the book of Ecclesiastes this morning is the hope and the promise of satisfaction. Um, you know, I, I do want to assure you at the outset that if you have ever felt or thought, you know, this, this life seems so pointless, um, that my life feels hollow and meaningless and empty. If you've ever had those thoughts, I, I do want to assure you on some level that that means you are very, very normal because life in a broken world, feels just like that. It really does feel like that. But at the same time, I want want us to consider together how Jesus, how his coming into the world for us is the promise and the hope of our being satisfied and our being fulfilled in this life. Um, 
you know, it's probably been overused, and, and I, I don't want to completely lift this out of context uh, because there's more to, to the interview than what I'm going to give you right here. But several years ago, Steve Croft, he interviewed uh, the New England Patriots quarterback, Tom Brady. And, and he was interviewing him just after he had won his third Super Bowl. Right? Some of you are familiar with this story. Maybe you've seen this interview. But here's this very, very successful man making tons of money, right? Experiencing much fame. He's at the top of his game, right? And Tom Brady said in this interview, he said this, and this is a quote. He said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? He goes on, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is. And he breaks off and he says, me, I think, God, there's got to be more than this. And Steve Croft jumped on that and immediately asked him, well, what's the answer? And Tom Brady's reply was, I wish I knew. Like I said, there's more to that the, the interview than what I'm giving you, and I don't want to be unfair to Tom Brady, but that right there is, I think, very, very revealing, right? And I, I remember seeing another interview with a famous actress. I forgot her name, but she was she was being interviewed, and she was being questioned about one of her most recent divorces. She had been through multiple divorces, and she was being pressed by this interviewer about her most recent divorce and why her relationships with men never seemed to work out. And she said this, I wrote down the quote, there is a gap in my life that I am constantly trying to fill. On the outside, these people, they seem to have it all, right? They have the fame, the beauty, the talent, the wealth, the success, the accomplishments, right? But you hear it from them, don't you? Emptiness and hollowness and the pointlessness of, of life, wealth and beauty, right? They can't cover up that emptiness, right? And all the fame and the success and the talent can't quench their thirst for satisfaction. There's got to be more than this, they're saying. And, and right away, I think a lot of us, we hear that and we kind of sh- snobbishly shake our heads sometimes. You know, oh, they should know the answer to those questions. But the truth is, I think that if you think about it long enough, you will realize that we can all identify with that. That there's this gnawing, nagging emptiness. There must be more. And we have tried to fill that gap with all kinds of things, right? In our own search for satisfaction. Ecclesiastes is a very different book. It reads very, very differently than say the Gospel of John or, or something like that, right? Ecclesiastes, it sounds like, you know, the lyrics to a song you might hear, one of these alternative songs in your radio, you know, the angst and the bitterness of life just kind of pouring out. Ecclesiastes is a very, very, very different book. Um, but, you know, it's, asking, it, it's addressing what every one of us thinks or has thought. And that is, what is the point of it all, right? Is everything really this meaningless? Is true satisfaction in this life, is that even a real possibility for us? 
And this morning, I want us to try and diagnose what's going on inside all of us and to face the brokenness of life, but also to see the hope that the gospel gives for finding this deep satisfaction that we were meant to have. And so our three points are going to be satisfaction that's desired, satisfaction denied, and finally satisfaction delivered. And if it feels like this has nothing to do with the celebration of Jesus coming into the world, you, do, you just kind of have to wait for it. It's coming. It's Advent. We'll get there. Um, but first, satisfaction desired. I, I seriously doubt many of you have been reading through Ecclesiastes lately. Um, admittedly, it's a very hard book to understand um, and, and to read. But the book of Ecclesiastes has its finger on the pulse of your generation and my generation no matter what your generation is. Because Solomon, who wrote this book, addresses the same questions that we have. As Solomon tells you in chapter 1, verse 9, there is nothing new under the sun. This isn't some midlife crisis for Solomon, right? Um, What's the point? Solomon is addressing what all of humanity is really born desiring, satisfaction, or, or if you prefer, fulfillment or meaning. And in our first point, I want us to see our desire for satisfaction. In other words, I want to convince you of something you, you should already know about yourself. Um, I, I want you to see how all of humanity is really aching for some kind of completion and fulfillment. You feel fractured. I feel fractured, right? Like pieces of you are missing And all you want to do is to be whole for something or someone to give your life meaning and purpose and fill the gaps and bring completion. Notice in chapter 1, verse 12 through 13, how the author approaches this subject really like a scientist, right? He says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. See, he's he's saying, I've applied myself to investigating and understanding everything that men do on the earth, right? He's observing everything to see where meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment can be found, right? And so then you skip over to chapter 2 and verse 1, and you have this long list of things, right? This is him in the lab doing his experiments. What could bring me fulfillment or satisfaction in this life? And he says, so he says in verse 1, I said in my heart, come now. Right? This is the scientist. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself, right? And so in the verses that follow, you see the sample of things that he tested his heart with to find out what would satisfy him, right? And so you see laughter and good times in verse 2, right? You see wine, you know, in verse 3, pleasure, right? Real estate and farming in verses 4 through 5, these great projects in verse 6, you know, all these accomplishments that he's able to, um, a- able to do. He bought slaves to work for him. He's, he's saying he has um, become a man of power in this culture. Livestock in verse 7, wealth in verse 8. You know, he has security and he has status and entertainment in verse 8 and wives, you know, these relationships that he has in verse 8. And what he says in verse 10, he says, I denied myself nothing. Right? He denied himself nothing his eye desired. He refused his heart no pleasure. If it promised pleasure, if it promised satisfaction, if it promised fulfillment, he went after it and tested his heart with it. 
Whatever he wanted, he went and got it. Money, power, success, relationships, accomplishments, and so on. The search was on. He was looking for something to satisfy himself with. But, you know, I don't want you just to look at this and say, well, that was Solomon. I want you to understand that this is our search. This is our quest as well, right? It's what we're after. Something to complete us and give our lives meaning. Something to calm the restlessness of our hearts and leave us satisfied. So the question is, what is it for you? What are you trying to fill the gaps with in your life? Because for some of you, you think, if I could raise a perfect family, that would satisfy me. And and some of you think, if I could just get on the right group uh, of friends, you know, the right group of parents at my kid's school, or the right social circles. Some of you are thinking, if I could climb the ladder in my career just this high enough, then I'd be satisfied. If you could get the respect and admiration of your peers, if you could get that house on the lake, right? If you could arrive at a comfortable, secure position in life. Some of you are thinking, if I could just find a way to fund my retirement account so that I know I have security in this life. You know, or, or maybe you think, if I could just get my spouse to understand me, um, maybe you would then, maybe you would think, I would be deeply satisfied if I could just change the way I look. If I could tweak my personality a bit, you know, get rid of my compulsions in this life. My point is this, we all know what Solomon is talking about here. It's our search for satisfaction. We're chasing after things that promise to fulfill us if we just get this or if we just get that. And we're trying to find meaning, looking for that one thing or those several things that can fill the gap. If I could just have, if I could just get, if I could just be, whatever. You know, the, the only, I do like watching sports on television, but the only time I ever watch people run around a track is, is certainly when the Olympics come on. And, and then I'm really tuned in um, for some reason. But, you know, all of a sudden, what once could not hope to gain my interest, people running around a track, all of a sudden, I'm fascinated with it. It's just amazing to consider these people who go and compete for their countries. You know, they've been doing push-ups since they were fetuses, you know, in preparation for this, right? They, I'm, all the preparation, all the work that goes into this, right? Uh, how fast they can move and with what endurance and all that kind of stuff. And it's amazing to consider the focus, the amount of training and preparation, the work, the determination, all of that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, in the race, you see it. You see it in the eyes of those runners, that supreme focus, right? In that moment, before the gun goes off, right? To those athletes, nothing matters. The crowd doesn't matter. The runners running beside them in the, in the lanes beside them, it doesn't matter. They, they are not distracted by anything until they cross that finish line. That's the one thing their eyes are trained upon, is that finish line. And you know, that's a great metaphor for life. You know, the Bible often talks about life as a race. Or, or moving down a path, something like that. We're straining, you know, maybe when the business turns the corner and when I get credit for my work and when I'm finally in a position of power or inside the right, right social circle, I'm trained on that. You know, then I'll be able to rest and our eyes are fixed on that finish line deep in the core of our being. We know we were made to be satisfied in this life. 
And so we are desperately trying to grab hold of it. You aren't abnormal if you feel that impulse, that thirst for satisfaction. What you are is human. It's built into your DNA, that desiring, that hoping, that longing for satisfaction, right? But here's the thing. The problem, the problem is that in our experience, this is what it actually feels like. It feels like we're running around that track, eyes trained on the finish line, but someone keeps moving that finish line further and further away from us. You know, wealth and fame and accomplishments, but wait, you know, to quote Tom Brady again, there's got to be more than this, right? That's really what Solomon is saying here. He chased the finish line, but he never crossed it. And that takes us to our second point, right? Satisfaction denied. He never made it because his pursuit, he says, was like striving or chasing after the wind. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You know, chasing after the way, that's a very interesting way to put it. Every time you thought you were close to catching it, it slipped through your fingers because you couldn't grab hold of it. Right? The mental picture is just silly. I mean, someone chasing the wind in the hopes to capture it. Of all the many Rolling Stones songs out there, some of you, you had to know that I was going to bring up the Rolling Stones, right? But, right, their most famous song has got to be, you know, them singing about, I can't get no satisfaction, right? I tried and I tried and I tried, but I can't get no, I'm not going to sing it. I can't get no satisfaction. You know, here's what I want. I do want to suggest this. Maybe... The reason that song is so, so very popular and that everyone in this room knows that song is because so many people can relate to it. That we try and we try and we try, but we can't cross the finish line. We can't get no satisfaction, right? It's denied over and over again. This brings us all the way back to the way Solomon began his book, right? He says, vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. In chapter 1, verse 14, he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, and a striving after the wind. There it is again. It shows up throughout this book. A chasing, a striving after the wind. Please don't take this next statement that I make out of context. Um, But there is at least one incredible benefit to your sin and mine. And if sin had a benefit, this would be it. It always leaves you empty. It never satisfies. I mean, it holds out that promise to you that if I just do this my way, if I just get this or have this or whatever, then I'll I'll be satisfied. But you know, it always leaves you empty. It slams you into the pavement. It will never be enough to satisfy you and let you rest. You keep coming up short and you cannot fill the gap. And satisfaction is denied over and over again. The word that Solomon uses for vanity in in this book is actually the word for vapor or mist, right? Everything he says vanishes like vapor or mist. It's nothing. But when he says, and so you, you have to think about it, when he says vanity of vanities, 
Literally, he is saying, vapor of vapor, right? Not only is everything as pointless as vapor, but everything is just the vapor of vapor, right? You know, to fit it all on one page, I had to leave out a bunch of verses that pointed to the despair. But at least I left in chapter 2, verse 17, where he says, so this is his verdict. So I hated life. I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity, all is vapor, and a striving after the wind. There it is again, that theme, that vanity, that chasing after the wind. You can't hold on to the vanishing vapor. God designed, he designed the things of life that way. To come up woefully short of satisfying you. You know, admittedly, I I know I mixed my words a little bit, and you may have caught that, but... You know, in in the first point, we talked about the pursuit of meaning in things like career and relationships and power and wealth and status and comfort and so on, and the emptiness of that pursuit. And then just a moment ago, I switched it on you and started talking about how pursuing your sin always leaves you empty. See, here's the deal. There is nothing wrong with success, and there's nothing wrong with money inherently. And there's nothing wrong with relationships inherently or pleasure or wine. Look at Solomon. There's nothing inherently wicked wicked about vineyards or laughing or owning livestock, wine or these great building uh, projects, right? Nothing evil about those things in and of themselves. But there is something wrong with you and me. That's what Solomon's getting at. There's something wrong with us. When we take what is good, power, wealth, status, whatever. When we take what is good and we turn it into an ultimate. When we take what is good and we try to squeeze life out of it. And we try to squeeze meaning and satisfaction out of it. I hope you're starting to get it. This is scary stuff because it means you can can absolutely take anything in this life and twist it. There's this famous section in Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, right, where Jesus says, he says a number of things. He says, when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets. And then he says, and when you pray, don't stand on the corner, right, to be seen by men. And when you fast, don't put on a show of it before men. But listen, you understand this, right? Jesus wants you to pray. He wants you to fast. He wants you to give. Those are very good things. But don't you see what Jesus is saying? He's saying you can take something good and like helping the poor and fasting and praying and you can turn it into something wicked because what you are really after is your reputation or acclaim or status and on and on we could go trying to squeeze life out of good things. We could go on and on. But my point is that the reason your satisfaction in this life is denied is because the problem is with you. And not the things. And that's the one thing we don't want to deal with. You know, I can remember when I was in high school and I fir- we first started learning algebra, right? Um, I gave you these equations where you were supposed to figure out for, you know, what, what is X? You know, 2X plus 1 equals 4X minus 2 or whatever. I don't even know if that's a real one. And, and you ha- but you had to figure out what X is, right? And uh, I am definitely... Not a math person. Um, And so introducing the alphabet 
to math was a bit of a problem for me. And, um, you know, I can remember when we first started learning this, that all I knew to do was just guess and start plugging things into X and hoping that it would work. You know, it wasn't, that's fine when it's, you know, what, I I don't even know, some simple X plus one equals four or something. But, but, you know, when it starts getting more complicated, that's when you're in, in real trouble and guessing doesn't really get you very far. And so eventually I remember hitting this dead end. There were too many numbers, too many possibilities, right? Uh, to plug into the equation. So eventually I had to settle down and learn algebra and learn how to solve the equation. And I think this is what life looks like for an awful lot of us. That we keep trying to plug things into the equation. Right? There are so many possibilities for you to choose from. And you just keep trying to plug in for X. What is going to give you satisfaction and fulfillment, and meaning in this life. Secure retirement accounts, success in work, successful kids, morality, being more religious, whatever it is. You know, relationships, such an easy one. I mean, surely you have heard people talk all the time in your regular lives as well as on TV and the movie screen. Everything is about finding the right one. If I could just find the right X then my life would have meaning and, be, and I would be fulfilled, right? I mean, the possibilities really are endless. You can try and plug all kinds of things into the equation. And that tactic, it might work for very, very short bursts, short bursts of happiness and short bursts of rest and short bursts of fulfillment. But you cannot hold on to the vapor, Solomon is saying. If you can see that you desire satisfaction then, and that everything you look to for satisfaction in this life is really designed to come up short and leave you empty. Solomon is saying it's time to settle down and stop plugging into the equation and actually learn how to solve the equation. And, you know, right now you might be thinking, no wonder no one preaches from Ecclesiastes. You know, I mean, this is depressing stuff. Um, The emptiness of life, vanity of vanities. And why in the world are we looking at Ecclesiastes during Christmas? Um, Just hold on, because this last point is where we see everything turn. Right. You, You have to see the meaninglessness, the emptiness, your desire for satisfaction and its denial before before you see it delivered. And that's our last point, satisfaction delivered. Two verses I want us to see here um, at the end of the passage. Chapter 2, verse 24 and verse 25. Solomon writes, A man can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in his work. This too I see is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? Everything turns with those last two verses Because the question in verse 25 is a rhetorical question, right? He's saying that the only way to find satisfaction in any of the good things in this life is to ultimately find your satisfaction in the ultimate, in God himself. You see, the emptiness is designed to drive you and me to one last place to look. Not to the stuff or to the things 
but to the one who gives you those things. Even as we mentioned before, your life of pious morality and religious observance can very easily leave you empty and hollow. Because what Jesus was saying is that you can do all those things. You can give to the poor and you can pray and you can fast and you can never be serving me, but only be serving yourself. Trying to find satisfaction in those things, God is saying, instead of finding it in me. You see, you have to get to a place in life where you give up. In many ways, Christianity begins not when you start, but when you give up. Instead of continuing to look for meaning in a good reputation or in your appearance or personality or in your things or in your position or whatever, you have to give up and look one more place to the God who made all those things and designed them to come up short of satisfying you. Only when you find your rest in him will life make sense to you and me. A friend of mine had this puzzle that sat on his coffee table in his house and uh, different thing about this puzzle was that it wasn't a puzzle that laid flat on the table. It was a puzzle made up of these wooden wooden blocks. And you were supposed to hold these wooden blocks together. And if you put them all together just right, they would form uh, basically a little wooden statue of a dog that sat on the coffee table, right? Um, And it actually took a couple of people to do this puzzle because someone you always had to have hands on this puzzle, right? To hold it together because it kept wanting to fall apart back onto the table. But at the very end, when you got all the pieces together just the way they were supposed to be, and it was a dog and you had all the hands on it, you had to take this, this steel pin and slide it through the, the, the little eye holes that were carved into the wood. And when that pin went in place, you could take your hands off and the puzzle would, would stand upright on its own, right? You know, sometimes we get so caught up in the little stuff that we miss the big stuff. And we forget, what we tend to do is we forget the pen that holds it all together, right? Without without that pen, all you have is a bunch of meaningless pieces of wood on that coffee table, but with the pen, you have the complete puzzle. We are made for satisfaction. It's just written into our DNA, right? No wonder you are hungry for it. No wonder I'm hungry for it. But do you see how often you, you find that your satisfaction in this life is denied? Do you see how often you try to squeeze life and meaning out of all these kinds of things without looking to Jesus? In Colossians, the Apostle Paul, he wrote this. For by him, it's Jesus, all things were created. Right? Things in heaven and on earth, the Apostle Paul says. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. And then he says this. He is before all things. And in him... All things hold together. I mean, that's the answer to the problem in Ecclesiastes that that Ecclesiastes so clearly and poetically puts before us. You are made to be whole to find your identity in Jesus. Paul is saying he's the pen that holds the whole thing together, right? 
It's when you rest in Jesus because he holds all things together, everything else in your life begins to explode with meaning. And you find yourself free, free to enjoy your marriage, not enslaved to the thought that if you could just change your spouse, life would be so much better. Right? Free to enjoy your work and serve God and neighbor with your career, not enslaved to find your identity in your resume. Right? Free to pray and give generously and sacrificially with joy because you are no longer enslaved by the opinions of others. Free to sacrifice for your children, not enslaved to the idea that your reputation depends upon how your kids turn out in this life. You get free in Him. And everything explodes with meaning when you rest in Jesus. See, this is the hope and promise of Christmas. That yours and my bitter slavery to chasing the wind, right, might come to an end. And that we would find ourselves fulfilled and satisfied in the one who came to set us free from that slavery. Paul wrote to the Galatians this. So also when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. And he says this, but when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons because you are sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. And he says, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Let me leave you with just. One piece of application here. Some of you have never given up on your pursuits of finding fulfillment in this life and grabbed a hold of Jesus. And others of you are Christians, but you have lost sight of Jesus. And you are falling back into the grind of trying to plug all kinds of things into that equation. And others of you know that you are resting in Jesus and know that he is the ultimate source of your, your satisfaction. But here's my encouragement to all of you, no matter where you are in this life. Repent and believe the good news. No matter what category you fit in. Repentance simply means to turn, but it doesn't mean turn from doing bad things to doing good things. It means turn from looking for life and fulfillment outside of Jesus, turn from that and turn to Jesus. That's repentance. You know, the great reformer Martin Luther, you know, when he nailed his 95 thesis on the Wittenberg church door, right? The first of his 95 thesis was just this. All of life is repentance. Whether you have never turned to Jesus or have been a Christian for 50 years, Martin Luther says, all of life is turning away from those things and turning to Jesus and finding fulfillment and satisfaction in him. Repentance and faith. It's not just how you get into the kingdom. It's also how you live in the kingdom, forsaking all lesser loves for the greatest love of all. Jesus, the one who in the time had fully come. He came to redeem those under law, the one who through, all, through whom all things were made. He came and on the cross, he was unmade. And he was unmade on that cross in order to remake you and me. And for you to find that in him, all things hold together. Let's pray together. 
our great Heavenly Father, we thank You that when the time had fully come, You sent Your Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Father, for some of us, that news seems almost too good to be true. That people like us, who have been chasing the wind, vapor of vapor, that you would say of us, because of Jesus, we are no longer slaves, but sons. That we have received the full rights of sons. And Father, we pray this time of year as we begin to approach the celebration of Christmas. The celebration of Jesus coming into the world. Father, we pray that you would allow us to see. That satisfa- true and ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment can only be found in Him. And Father, we do pray that as we see and behold the satisfaction that is in Him alone, that it would indeed explode into our lives and that we would look at our careers and our religious performance and our neighbors and our positions And that those things would explode with meaning. Because we have been set free in Jesus. We have been set free to serve you in this life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.